Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Just Films and That with me, Josh Hallam. And me, Alice Oliver. This is the podcast where we talk about films that we think are underrated, underappreciated, or we just wanted to talk about them. We're also going to get stuck into some classic films that one of us maybe hasn't seen and maybe throw in some great guests along the way. So, we start, as ever, with a random question. Alice, have you ever broken a bone? You know what, Josh? No, I haven't. I am a proud member of the Never Broken a Bone Club, yeah. uh, as, as far as I know, anyway. I know, obviously, people say that you, like, you break your toes every now and then, like, they'll just break, so that might have happened, I'm not sure, but not officially. Never required medical attention for a broken bone. Why? What about you? Uh, same as you, Touchwood. I don't think I've ever broken a bone. Um, I think I spread I sprayed my ankle ligaments once playing football. Oh, uh, no big deal. Whatever, I got the ball. It's fine. Trick, <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it went in in the end, and you know, uh, at the end of the day, three points, <laughs> team performance. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so we'll move on to talking about this week's film. Um, so I chose this one, and it is a classic film. Um, it's the second one we've done. The first one was uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, which you chose. So we're going to talk about The Great Dictator, which is from 1940. Um, so obviously over 80 years old, but spoiler warning, if you've not seen The Great Dictator, um, if you've not seen a film, it's sort of a, it's a parody satire on uh, World War II and the rise of Hitler. Um, so it mirrors real life events. So Charlie Chaplin plays both parts. He plays a Jew an unnamed Jewish barber who's injured in what's called the Great War. He then spends years uh, recovering and is unaware that at the same time a dictator has risen to power called Adenoid Hinkle. Who might that be? Um, he's kind of installed like a totalitarian government. He's anti-Semitic. Um, and so once the barber comes back to the ghetto where he lives, he starts to join the rebellion against Hinkle. Uh, Hinkle. However, they just so happen to look exactly alike. So Funny, eh? <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, so it's not set. It's not set in Germany, and it's not. So it's very much like a, it mirrors real life, but it's not set in Germany. It's set in Tomania, and, the, and there's a bordering country of uh, Napolina. So, Alice. Um, classic film. Had you seen this one before? I have not seen this one before, Josh. I'm very interested to know why you picked it. So I, I 
picked this because I knew we'd kind of moved, we'd, we'd broadened our horizons to talk about classic films. And this is one I'd never really got around to watching. And I'd never seen, as someone who's quite, in, you know, who's very interested in comedy and stuff, the inner workings of comedy, I'd never seen um, any Charlie Chaplin film. And I thought this might be a good one to start with. Obviously, he's primarily known as a silent movie star and resisted the urge to move into what they called talkies or talking pictures at the time. And this was his first, I think he did dribs and bits and pieces elsewhere, but I think this is considered his first feature length classic, uh, feature length talking film. Um, and I knew the basic plot and I knew this, this famous thing, obviously it's been around for so long and it's such a, a hugely influential film. I was, I knew things like the globe scene. I knew the plot and I knew the famous speech at the end because it's been used and parodied and quoted so often. So that's why I picked it really. I, I just picked it because I thought I need to, I thought it's, I was, I wanted to pick a classic film. I've got loads and loads I want to see, but I thought I'd pick something like this first. So what did you think it was good? Like, what did you know about it going in? So I didn't really know much about the film itself. I like you hadn't really been exposed to Charlie Chaplin that much but I did study film at university and obviously you, you watch a few bits and pieces there, you know, about the origin of cinema. So I'd seen sort of some bits and pieces of some of the silent films he'd done, uh, but hadn't really sort of delved any further, really. But I'd heard of this film and I knew that it was very, you know, held in very high regard. Um, so I was very excited, actually, when you said that we were going to watch it. because I was like, this is a great one to sort of finally get round to. Um, and I, in general, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's very, like, you can really tell that it's a film that is on the cusp of sort of two different huge moments in industry. So you still have the sort of silent film kind of vibes and some techniques to it, but then with the dialogue sort of added in and some sound effects here and there, not all the way through, though. And some scenes would be completely silent. So it's interesting sort of trying to get that balancing act, I suppose, of, oh, we've discovered this new technology. We know how to do it now but what is actually possible or what is it actually that you're going for? So that was interesting. What did you think about it? Did it sort of, did it meet the expectations that you had of it, whether they were positive or, or, you know, negative expectations? Was it what you imagined it would be? So I went into it probably thinking, I'm going to go into this and be able to really appreciate why it's had such a massive influence on other films I'm going to really be able to see, you know, when you've seen other films and you go back and watch older films and you're like going, oh God, that's where they got that from or this influenced that and stuff, you know, that sort of thing. I thought, I thought that would probably where it began and end for me. So I could see why it's a masterpiece, but perhaps it might have aged poorly. Um, and I certainly didn't actually expect to find it funny or not that funny. However, I thought it was really, it was a lot funnier than I was expecting it to be because there's so many types of comedy in there. You've got like, you've got visual gags. You've got obviously slapstick. You've got satire and parody. You've got actual written jokes. So I, it was, it was really, really funny. You know, there's, there's two main things about this film, which I really loved. The first one was Charlie Chaplin himself. I mean, I knew bits and pieces about Chaplin, having read about him, having seen the Attenborough biopic of him with Robert Downey Jr. and 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 listened to you know things about him on on radio shows and stuff. But he did everything in this. He wrote, directed, produced it, scored it, um, obviously starred in it, played two parts, and 
either completely funded it or partially funded it. Now, this is at a time when America was not actually in the Second World War yet. It's about a year, 18 months off America joining, um, joining the war. So this must have been a huge reputational and financial risk for Chaplin to do at the time. Now, he did say since, because the film does discuss, as we've already said, it's, it mirrors the real-life events of the, the persecution of the Jewish people um, all around Europe. Now, he did say after he did this film, that had he known the atrocities of the Holocaust and the concentration camps amongst all the other atrocities of the war, that he wouldn't have made this film. So we should say straight off the bat, that he himself did say that, you know, many years after the film came out. So, but that aside, it must have been such a huge, huge risk for him. But I just thought, what an incredible kind of feat for someone to do. I mean, it's not an unknown thing now to have someone do all those things in a film. But at the time, he just, he just did everything. And his performance is is incredible because he plays two parts and they're so different. You know, he plays the, the kind of the Jewish barber and all of that is very, you know, it's much more closer to what he was known for. Like you said, it's a, a lot more kind of physical comedy slapstick routines. Um, I mean, his movement with his feet in the pan scene where, so if you've not seen it, uh, there's a scene where two officers are trying to kind of arrest him and get him. And there's, um, the girl in the story, Hannah, is like leaning out of the window and she keeps like donking, um, donking them. It's quite hard to describe. It's just like a piece of physical comedy. Basically, three characters are all wrestling with each other and, and Hannah, one of the characters, keeps donking them all in the head. But whilst he's doing it, he, he like, it's just like that cartoonish thing where he gets donked on his head and he he wobbles and weaves and, and dips and dives in his feet. I mean, I, I don't know, this might be an incorrect quote, but I, I believe someone once said Charlie Chaplin is one of the world's greatest ever ballet dancers. Oh, well, interesting. I can certainly see because, that. Because, yeah. I mean, he's not hes not young in this film. He's not old, but he is in his mid-40s or something like that when this film's made. But the physicality of what he has to do, and he was not a tall man. He was something five foot five, five foot six, something like that. So the movements he does, it's just incredible. So, And then you move on to his performance as Hinkle, as Adenoid Hinkle, and that's all in the dialogue. That's all in the parody. That's all in the satirizing of Hitler. So... He he does this sort of impression of Hitler where he speaks uh, in a pseudo German language, so it's not it's not actual German, but he just he's he's like making it up on the spot. Where yeah, he's, there's he's, sort of lots of just sauerkrauts and schnitzels yeah. in there, sort of just sporadically. Yeah. yeah, which I I mean, look, I'm sure there are people who say that's obviously it's based on a stereotype and it's quite offensive to people who speak German. For me, at the time, knowing that he is satirizing Hitler, I th I think it works. I don't. I think I th I think it works. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, certainly, because you're satirizing him in his, it's him. It's his in, in his entirety. That is sort of it's, you're using his language and his culture to satirize him. But that's completely fair when you're a dictator. You are going to get satirized, <laughs> especially when you're an absolute monster. Indeed. <laughs> but um, so when so he speaks this pseudo German, like you say, he keeps just saying like he keeps saying English words, or he says like sauerkraut, or when he keeps saying is cheese and kraken. So he keeps oh, saying really? cheese and kraken over and over. So if you hear in the back, he'll like do a big long speech that sounds German, and then it'll just finish with cheese and kraken, and it's like. But it, so it, I found that very funny. But also he does stuff when he's doing Hitler's speeches. I mean, he has Hitler's 
movements and his art and his and his patterns of speech absolutely down to a T, which when he's not actually speaking German is quite the feat. But he there's little jokes in it, like he speaks into a microphone and the microphones, because he's speaking so violently and viciously, the microphones like cartoonishly bend away from him whilst he's speaking. And there's one long bit that really made me laugh where obviously he's speaking anti-Semitically and he does this big long speech, but all through it there's been a um a translator saying like his his Royal Excellency said this and he said that, and then he, he speaks for about a minute, and then the translator just goes, He's speaking of the Jewish people like that. And it's obviously so clear that he's just being he's, he's just spewing this this vile, horrible abuse out. But yeah, so I just thought that was that was um his his performance was incredible. What did you think of his performance? Yeah, fabulous and just so versatile, like you're saying, like in his physicality, in the way he tells jokes, in the way he creates comedy around him as well. Obviously, so many facial expressions and kind of such intensity with his physique because you have to do that in silent cinema because that is how you communicate with the audience, isn't it? You can't use your voice. So it's brilliant that he's been able to sort of transfer those skills and for them to be just sort of as successful, I suppose, and sort of as uh, sort of natural where they are in the talkies compared to the silent cinema. There was lots, like you were saying, sort of sort of like little stunts, really, or in kind of within the slapstick. So near the beginning, I enjoyed, there's a part where he's in the aeroplane, in the little aeroplane with the, is it a German soldier who he's, or not German, sorry, it's a Romanian soldier. <laughs> yeah, oh, something I was wondering about that, is that sort of a play on to mania? Possibly, like, yeah. Where are we I, going? I, to mania. Yeah, you know, I hadn't... The craziest thing on earth is literally happening. I mean, I hadn't thought that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's so layered. It is so layered. Like, the way that they parody Nazi Germany and, and the way that all... Like, the costumes and everything and the manner of speech that, you know, they take little things that we now know happened, you know, like the salute, and they change it slightly so that it is... Everyone knows what they're doing, but it's not that. And, you know... There is. They all have a double cross, which is obviously parodying the swastika and that sort of thing. So that's probably that that right. And again, it's why the script is so good, which we'll come on to. But you're right, like Tumani, I didn't even think of that. But yeah, so anyway, so he's in the plane with the Tumanian soldier. Yes, and obviously the plane flips upside down and they're having, is it a, a pocket watch or something that's hanging from his neck <laughs> or a compass or something? Yeah. And that's sort of creating a lot of havoc. But you can tell that they're actually upside down, like the way his face falls so they're actually doing that. And now, I don't know if it's just because I hate being upside down so much. Like, I get really dizzy and really sick really easily. So, like, if I spin around or whatever, if I do, like, a, a forward roll or something, I'm gone. So I don't know why I'd be doing so many forward rolls in my 30s, but you never know. <laughs> when, um, I'm just so at work, when I'm just at work and I'm doing a forward roll. <laughs> I just like to make sure I can still do one, you know. Uh, so I was just like, oh man, they're upside down. I bet they were upside down for ages. And then obviously they flip the frame so that it looks like that they are now the right way up, but they're not. They're still hanging upside down. You can tell by the way, obviously their hair falls and their faces sort of crease into themselves. And um, so that was interesting. And it was kind of sort of a little bit of like showing off and just kind of being like, look what we can do. We can flip this. You know, they're upside down, but you're seeing them the right way. And I really enjoyed that because it is a great a great sort of opportunity to show off what you can do cinematically as well. Like you say, they must have been experimenting with with all sorts of um, of new sort of 
thing, you know, new, what what can we do with this technology sort of thing? I mean, I think that's, like you say, the pocket watch is is, is flying up in the air because they're upside down, or um, he tries to have a, a drink of water as well, and all the water pours out. So it's interesting you say that, and it's interesting, that's a point I'd never considered, which is around this time must be obviously the only example of... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Film stars and actors moving from silent cinema into talking cinema and taking all that is good about uh, silent cinema into into the talkies. So that's probably not something that there is a fair example of. Now you might suggest, you know, people who haven't worked with CGI work with CGI, but that, that's not as big a change as talking. I suppose if, if you look at someone now who maybe deals a lot with physicality and mime, like maybe like an Andy Serkis or a Doug Jones, you know, maybe that's something, a slight similarity, but that's still, you know, going from no sound to sound, that's still a drastic, drastic change compared to anything in, in, in these days. So, yeah, so I loved it. I absolutely loved his performance. And the second thing I loved, which I've already touched on, is the script, the variety of different types of comedy they used, as well as being able to see the influence this film has had. So I really enjoyed being... I mean, I, this has influenced everything from films like 
if you think of something like The Interview with Seth Rogen, very satirical, very well covered in the press that, you know, North Korea weren't happy about that. Bit similarly that allegedly Hitler wasn't happy about this being made. Or so so you've got that element, the satire element, or even things like, I suppose, like a like four lions or something like that. Then you've got literal examples such as like I could see bits of like airplane and the naked gun, you know, like the way the script has like little throwaway gags. So so for example, like like the scene you were just talking about where they're flying the plane. You know, the <laughs> this the pilot says to him, Can you fly a plane? And he just says, I can try. And it's like that I laughed at that. I know it's just a daft joke, but I really laughed at that. Or there's another one where um they're watching a parade of soldiers and you can hear like of the soldiers marching and they kind of go here come the here come the infantry and it's like and then they go here come the light infantry and no sound comes and one of them goes oh that's very light and it's such a dad joke but 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 it's funny and you can see why you know things like airplane surely you can't be serious don't call me surely that literal pun that word player if you like it must have come from well, I suppose Char- Charlie Chaplin at his heart was a vaudevillian, wasn't he? Because that's how he got his start. And then he eventually became the biggest star in the world. And then that kind of wordplay must be where that kind of joke comes from. I also felt like when I was watching it, like I, it felt like bits of Monty Python. It felt like bits of Blackadder, like, like you were saying. And even beyond films, like it feels like it, there was a lot of influence for television shows from it. Or maybe just from his style in general as opposed to just the film. But yeah, I, f- I definitely felt everything sort of felt familiar, like so many things that had come after and that I'd already seen had sort of emulated it or, you know, paid homage to it. And I feel like that's that's sort of when you know that you're kind of onto an epic or something. Similar like with so with Star Wars, I think I've said this to you before, but I, I, I had all my Star Wars education from Family Guy, from the cutaways <laughs> they did, from those long episodes they did. And then when I watched Star Wars, it was like, Oh yeah, like that bit. Oh yeah, like that bit. And it was kind of similar with this as well. So something I hadn't realised was that that speech that he gives at the end was from that film. Mm. So I know that speech. It's been used in a few songs. I'm pretty sure Paolo Natini used it. Yeah, Iron I think Sky, Bliss yeah. Nesso, yeah, I think Bliss and Esso used it in one of theirs. So I knew the speech and was kind of familiar with it. And then, But I didn't know it was in this film. And then when sort of Charlie Chaplin starts speaking... I was like, I recognise that voice. Why do I recognise that voice? I know who that is. And I was like, oh, that's that's the guy. Is that the same guy? Is that the guy who does the speech? And then obviously it was at the end. So that was great to be able to see that, sort of after having it on my radar through other various kind of pop culture references, and then to be able to sort of see its origin. That was pretty cool. Yeah, this is the fun of going back to these classic films, isn't it? Yeah, like you say, these classic films who they, they have been around so long and they've been watched by so many people and they've been they have been so absorbed into the culture that, it, that it's almost unavoidable to know things. So I've never sat and watched Gone with the Wind, but obviously I know, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And it's that sort of thing. It's like until I mean, I've like I watched Jaws probably for the first time when I was about eighteen, but I knew all of the, you know, the famous music and the famous lines. Same sort of thing around the same time. I watched Psycho and I'd never seen that before, but I knew what was coming. And it's funny because you'd think that that might lessen your enjoyer of a film because you kind of know what's coming. But the fact of the matter is these films are so well made that it improves 
your watching of the film. You know, I knew that speech was coming. I did know it was from this film, but that's about all I knew. But that speech, as much as it has been used in in many different ways, some ways, you know, kind of trying to, trying to make points that it's not really trying to make. But I'll leave that with you to interpret yourself. But the fact of the matter is that speech is so incredibly written. It's probably one of my favorite pieces of cinematic writing because I just think it's wow. so powerful. It's such mm-hmm. a powerful piece of writing. I mean, if you haven't seen the film, the whole... Sp- I mean, go and watch the film, but the whole speech is on YouTube. And like Alice has said, it's been used in, in other songs. I, I First time I heard it used in a song was in uh, the Paolo Nettini song, Iron Sky, in which it's, it's, it is clipped. It's not the, it's the whole thing, about five minutes. And he only uses, you know, 30 seconds or something. But it's... It's a brilliantly, brilliantly written speech, and it's all about... So, actually, something I wanted to come on to. So, I thought I thought I knew the plot of this film, and what I thought was that the whole thing about them looking alike and looking the same would actually come into play much, much earlier. And you would have a kind of, like, a trade in... Not trade in places, you know, a, a mistaken identity-type plot where perhaps both of them are stuck somewhere for the majority of the film... But in, in actual fact, the mis- the mistaken identity part is the last 10 minutes. Well, I didn't even, I didn't think that that was going to happen because it had sort of gone on so long. We were kind of coming towards the end. I, it hadn't even sort of registered to me that that was going to be part of the plot as well, even though obviously it should be, because otherwise what's the point of having one guy play your two lead characters? Exactly. Obviously. There's a lot of commitment for like, a, for like, what could have been a miss, like like could have been a sort of poorly executed payoff, but it matter of the fact is they play it so well and Chaplin plays it so well that it is a huge payoff, even though he's only the only he only swaps roles, if you like, they only have that case of mistaken identity for ten minutes. Like like I said, if you've not seen the film, so as we've said, they look alike. So at the end, the the dictator kind of gets arrested because the guards are looking for the Jewish barber. The barber they think is the dictator. So he's expected to give a speech to a country they've just invaded and, if you like, taken over. So they put him in his uniform and put it on stage and he makes a speech. They're all expecting this huge, vile, horrible, hate-filled speech. And in fact, because he is the barber, he takes the opportunity to essentially undo all the things he's done. And he gives this big speech about compassion and helping your fellow man. And it's incredible, especially because they cover topics that, he he says, you know, black man, white man, Gentile, Jew, and all this, which is not the the kind of addressing of race is not something you expect to see because we know now, like we talked about with Meet Me in St. Louis, we know that obviously the way black people were being treated in America at the time, the fact that he chose to say that. Again, probably in a way, not that it should have been, but probably in a way it was quite a risk for him to say that to say they should yeah. be treated because segregation was still very much going on. The Jim Crow laws were still, I think, very much going on. So I just I just love that piece of writing. I just think it's so, so powerful. I think the thing with the speech as well is that it, it can be interpreted in those two different ways. So you can say it to a crowd of thousands or millions of Nazis, or you could say it to people, you know, who do want a better world and who do want, you know, justice and equality for all. And you you take from it what you want because he's talking about, you know, don't live in chains. We are not cattle. We are men. And obviously to the, sorry, I call them Nazis, the two aliens. 
So for them, it's kind of like, yes, he's right. We must overthrow our oppressors who, you know, they've been led to believe are the Jewish people. But then also speaking as a Jewish barber, you know, speaking to his, his community and wanting the best for his country. It's just, it, it's so, like, it was so indicative of just how things can be twisted and how people just discover weird meaning in things and interpret them to kind of suit themselves. Because I do know, I mean, sort of familiar with kind of a lot of what Hitler was saying. A lot of it, I believe, came from the um, sort of Aza True and the kind of Nordic religions, but he was kind of misinterpreting it or kind of taking it to mean what he wanted it to so that it worked with his agenda. So it was just interesting to see that. And the the whole speech as well, the whole film even really, in a sort of cynical way, but also I think overall maybe positive, I don't know. But it just made me feel like nothing ever changes. Like just nothing ever changes. Like this is the shit that they were having to deal with back then. And now you sort of fast forward to this age and we've still got leaders like that. I'm not saying as much in the Western world, but we know they exist. We know that countries are in these horrific turmoil where awful things are happening to marginalised people. And it's just like nothing ever changes. We're just like stuck in this cycle. I couldn't agree mm. more. I couldn't agree more. And it's it's not just relevant in a political sense. So I think that I was watching this and I thought this script is more relevant and funnier and some comedies that have been made in the last 10 years, like it's oh, still it's still agree. relevant. So like you say, there's that political argument. But also, if you think about the situation we've recently been in with a you know, massive worldwide pandemic, that idea of, you know, shared experience, shared traumatic experience like the war creating comedy now obviously i'm not saying that the pandemic is anything near as horrible as a war i'm just talking about a, a shared experience of something quite traumatic and quite hard creating this this idea of comedy so you are right and you are right there is still elements of it that are very much relevant in a political landscape um like you say countries which are still under a dictator and, and and that sort of thing. Did you think? So did you find? Did you find this film funny? Did you laugh? I did. I definitely laughed out loud at least twice, and the whole time, like I just felt engaged with it the whole time. And beyond the fact that I had to watch it because that's what the podcast was about, I just sat down to it and I was like, I felt like I was like. I'm going to experience something here. Because it is a little bit, it's the closest you're going to get to travelling back in time. It's the closest you're going to get to like connecting with people back then and how the world was. So it's sort of, it's both horrifying and comforting that, that you know, through decades and decades of time that you do, you experience the same things, you, you know? Absolutely right. I'm, I'm the same. I found it... I I expected to go in and probably laugh a little bit, but I laughed a lot more. Like there were scenes when I actually laughed out loud and not just, you know, certain types of comedy. I laughed out loud at some of the physical comedy. Like I really, I found the pudding scene really funny because that's like a classic comedy sort of trope. With the coin. Yeah, which is... With the coin, that yeah. was very funny. That was funny. Yeah, so, so it's, that, it's a classic comedy trope, which is you know something which the characters don't. And because you know that, so you so they decide to bomb the palace, and the captain 
has six of the rebels, one of which is Charlie Chaplin's character, and some other kind of Jewish men from the ghetto where they're all living. And he says, you know, fate will choose one of you to um, go and do the what, do the, the bombing. And what he does is put one coin in the put in in their in their food, their their kind of um, like fruit puddings that they're having, and um, then. One of the the love interest character Hannah finds this out, so she puts a coin in all of them, and they're all eating these puddings, thinking that if they get the coin, that that means they're the ones gonna have to go and blow the palace up. Except they all get a coin, so they're all trying to hide their coins, and that's the sort of thing that if you saw that in a film now or a, or a sitcom, you'd think it was it was funny, or I would anyway. And obviously, I know all comedy is subjective, but I just thought that was so funny. Like it's so such a classic idea, which comes back to the idea that you're talking about, which is that you know it's just it's aged so well, it still feels so relevant. Yeah, certainly, I would hundred percent agree. So, um, was there anything that you kind of didn't like about the film? We always like to give a a balanced argument, as you know. Was there anything you didn't like? I don't really think so. Like, I didn't come away from it thinking, you know, oh, I wish it had been more like this or, you know, what was going on here? Oh, the costumes were naff or whatever. The only thing, and it was just because I found it a bit distracting, was with the the moments that were completely silent. So you weren't getting any Foley sounds, you weren't getting any back background noises like near the beginning the barber you know when they're out on the field and it's kind of a bit of a war scene and you've got guys running around and explosions and such and they've got like this massive massive sort of gun cannon thing and there's a lot going on with that sort of he's hanging off it and sort of trying to swing it around and all those moments a lot of them were sort of completely silent so you weren't getting sort of that smooth transition between scenes um but i mean a you know, apart from that, because that, that's it's just a product of its time. So it was distracting, but certainly didn't ruin the film for me. Was there anything you noticed that you found a bit... Ooh. Similar to you, it does start a little slowly because it starts with a lot of physical routines. But I think the reason for that is because it was his first big talkie. He obviously was trying to ease the audience in and be like, look, I can still do this, but I'm also going to do this at the time. So yeah, there was that and... Of all the comedy in it, like silent comedy is my is my least favorite. But that's because I'm, you know, the age I am and was born when I was born. You know, I don't particularly enjoy opera and ballet. But when that was the entertainment that you had, you probably enjoyed it or you learned to enjoy it. So because there's so much more available for, to me and because our kind of people nowadays are kind of a little bit spoiled for choice, I wouldn't necessarily pick a silent, a silent comedy. I'd be interested to maybe pick one for another uh, a classic film. So... I did find that a little slow in places, but to be honest, I don't really know if I can hold it against the film because it's almost because it's my modern lack of a an attention span, I guess, in a way. So I, I agree with you. There's not really much. Again, like we've already touched on, the kind of impressions of the German language, Tomanian language, as well as there's a another dictator who is is clearly Mussolini and is, is clearly from, from Italy. You could probably say those impressions are a little offensive, but because it's kind of sending up and kind of parody, and it's so cartoonishly a parody, it's not. I didn't. I didn't find that offensive. So, not. No, there isn't really anything I didn't like. It's. It's difficult. I mean, no. no I, there were some elements. I thought it was the only other thing is a bit strange when when they they escape from the prison and um, you don't actually see it. You just see a guard say they've escaped, but no. 
No, I, can't, I think I'm clutching at straws a little bit. No, I didn't really, there wasn't anything that I can actually actively put my finger on and say I didn't like. So we'll move on to talking a little bit about the critical reception then. Now, we've picked this, I've picked this because it's a classic film. So we're not going to pick whether it's underrated or underappreciated. I think what we need to do is have a little look at the critical reception and decide, you know, is it, a classic. Do we think it's a classic? So, to give you a little bit of an idea, uh, IMDb gives it 8.4 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the audience, give it 95%, and the critics wow. give it 93%. So, wow. What do you think? Is it deserving of its status as a classic? Yeah, I mean, yeah certainly I would say so. I think that when you can see so much influence elsewhere of like decades and decades of cinema and television and it's still kind of touching things now then yeah certainly i think those those 90s are pretty generous eh? there's there's quite some some big scores there definitely how about you do you feel like it is deserving of its classic status and do you feel do you feel satisfied like you got from it what you wanted yeah i mean i, I can't say it any other any other way i think it is a classic i think that the I actually would say the IMDb score of 8.4 is a little low. I would say it's, I, I'm, I think, yeah, it's absolutely a classic. I thought it was brilliant. I'd definitely watch it again. I really enjoyed, like we said, it's, it's, its legacy improved the film. And I liked the elements of satire and parody and all the different types of comedy. And like, like you said, enjoying the influence it's had. So yeah, I think it is firmly deserving of its classic status. Uh, so there we go, another classic film, which uh, we've decided is very much deserving of its classic status. So I'm sure uh, Charlie Chaplin's <laughs> can rest easy <laughs> knowing that we've, de- that we've decided that The Great Dictator is worthy of its classic status. Alice. It's what you've been waiting for all this century. <laughs> <laughs> if he was a ghost in Casper, he would uh, go to the afterlife now because of his unfinished business. Exactly. He's crossing <laughs> over. He is done. <laughs> so, Alice, it's uh, your turn to pick next week. What are we watching? So, Josh, we're going to go for our first listener suggestion. So oh. this is from Sam, and he thinks we should watch Drop Dead Fred. Drop Dead Fred. Interesting. Ooh, well, indeed. okay. Tune in next week for our first listen- listener suggestion, which will be uh, Drop Dead Fred. Uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please do drop us an email. It's filmsandthatpod at gmail.com. Uh, we're at films underscore that on Twitter, and the Facebook and Instagram is filmsandthatpod. Um, see you next week for Drop Dead Fred. Uh, Alice, thanks very much for joining me as always. Thank you so much, Josh. Always a pleasure. Uh, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 